Welcome to this bonus episode of The Highwayman. Throughout the show, you've heard us talking about a seven-point progression of democratic projects in the 21st century. As we've said, we believe that South Africa is emblematic of the global rise and stumble of liberal democracy in its various incarnations. And in our work studying democratic flameouts, we came up with that seven-point continuum to help ourselves diagnose this. In the South African context, because of the specifics of our history, this progression has happened within and around the ANC, the African National Congress, which has by and large been the only game in town politics-wise. We've enlisted the help of struggle stalwart Palo Jordan to give this construction some context. Jordan was extremely active in resistance politics from a young age and eventually became a senior politician in the democratic government. For better or worse, Jordan is local democracy's grill chef. He knows exactly how the Borovos role got made. We were aware that change was visibly taking place on the African continent and the African people were beginning to regain their sovereignty and independence. It starts with ideological contestation, the jostling that occurs in any new political movement. In this case, we're obviously talking about the nascent African National Congress. It was formed in 1912 as the South African Native National Congress and went on to become the largest liberation movement in Africa. It was during this time that there emerged a number of conflicting trends in the movements in South Africa. For an organization formed during the violent ructions of the colonial project, World War I and the Bolshevik Revolution, on what did the founding members of the ANC hope to focus? Racial oppression? Class oppression? Liberal reformism? Were they petit bourgeois conservatives, as local commies considered them? Or were they forging a middle way between all of these competing outlooks? Contestation over ideology naturally creates our second point, divisions. There was a tension that arose rooted in differences about Africa and African nationalism in the African National Congress with the emergence of what was known as the Africanist faction who then seceded from the ANC in 1958 to form what became the Pan-Africanist Congress in 1959. People who had a slightly different political view to the older generation That in many ways was a leap forward in one's politics from perhaps protest politics during the 1950s to politics of revolution. That budding revolution against apartheid's racial fascism led to the hardening of ideological divisions into point number three, factions. The banning of the ANC did entail a process of sifting. So politics between 1960 and 1990 required a sense of commitment to a cause, including the sacrifice of your own life. If you were involved in politics before 1990 and you knew that this was a risky business, I could end on the gallows. You are very, very different from someone who joins the ANC in 1998, and uh, the gallows had been abolished by then. Once in power, factions of a political organization start a battle for influence, which requires networks of patronage. This fosters our fourth point, corruption. Perhaps a better term for corruption at this point on our continuum is elite capture. The political philosopher Olufemi Otaiwo describes elite capture as what occurs when, quote, 
the Advantage Few steer resources and institutions that could serve the many towards their own narrower interests and aims. It doesn't mean that everyone who came in to the ANC after 1994 was in search of opportunity. Many people, and I don't think unfairly, expected that, yeah, since these opportunities have been opened up to us and the ANC is the vehicle that has made these possibilities within our reach, this is the vehicle to attain these objectives. So why don't I associate myself with this party? Corruption inevitably gets out of hand when it becomes entrenched at the top of the power pole. And the in-group, grabbing all the resources, becomes smaller and smaller. South Africans have coined a term for this next phase. We call it state capture, our fifth point on the continuum. Politics and business have been linked for a long time in South Africa. And you either use business going to politics or you use politics going to business. And the ways of doing it are many and varied. Jordan makes a crucial point. The apartheid state, under the National Party, ran a deeply corrupt system of elite capture that had incalculable ties to business interests. South African race-based fascism was a collaboration between corporate South Africa and the regime. But for the purposes of this exercise, we're focusing on the rise and devolution of a democratic project. Once state capture becomes the norm, once it has hollowed out law enforcement and intelligence services, it has to be supported by some kind of system to maintain itself. Ergo, point six, organized crime. What was disturbing about what happened last July was that the unfolding of a legal process was exploited by unscrupulous elements to uh, cause disturbances in the country. Jacob Zuma did allow himself to be detained. But once that had happened, whoever was coordinating or inciting the violence that occurred then flipped the switch and it happened. Our equivalent of January 6th. Organized crime quickly blooms into its only logical and time-tested manifestation. Point seven, all-out gang warfare, which results in a massive, country-changing social uprising. One that doesn't really end, but simmers on underneath the surface until it takes everything down with it. For one week in July 2021, as a nation, we stared into the heart of darkness. This construction has proved itself true of the South African experience. It's our view that a version of the seven-point program threatens to undermine virtually every other attempt at liberal democracy on the planet, too. The gang warfare scenario can unfold in many different ways, in many different places. But across the world, corruption and kleptocracy have become increasingly weaponized. They've fueled the rise of populist nationalist movements like the BJP in India and illiberal forces that are gaining power in Italy, Turkey, Hungary and the United States. They've also been declared the most profound threats to democratic governance and national security in the 21st century by over 100 government leaders, multilateral institutions and civil society organizations. After all, to quote the philosopher and mystic Simone Weil from her monograph On the Abolition of Political Parties, Quote, the ultimate goal of any political party is its own growth without limit. In South Africa, that truism is proved every day. Into the vacuum step the men with the clipboards and guns. 
The High Women is written, produced and directed by Richard Poplack and Diana Neal, with editing and sound design by Bernard Kutzer, Diana Neal and Tevia Turok-Shapiro. The original soundtrack is written by Bernard Kutzer. Our project manager is Catherine Kutzer, and our marketing lead is Sarah Kortman. Fact-checking and editorial oversight by Sasha Wales-Smith, with transcriptions provided by Gloria Cooper. Additional voiceover by Ayanda Charlie. Our editor-in-chief is Branko Brickich, and our executive producer is Silly Gerlambus. Production of The Highwaymen was made possible with support from the Friedrich Naumann Foundation. The content may not necessarily reflect the foundation's views or opinions. For additional archive and music credits, please visit Daily Maverick. New episodes of The Highwaymen drop weekly on IONO, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen to them on the Daily Maverick website. If you found this installment interesting, illuminating, or perhaps even a little life-changing, please consider leaving a review or sharing on social media.